Okei, okei, vapeen, vapeen, vapeen. Ai. Okei, huh. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr. and I'm here with my co-host Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race: culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. What's going on, family? This is Humanize. We are ending season three. This is our last episode, and we're hoping that um, we got some work done, and we're hoping that you also learned a lot from us as we learned a lot from all the amazing guests that we had. And um, as we sign off for this season, we just want to do um, just a couple of things today. We just want to go through some highlights, some things that we learned, and some takeaways that can make us and our show a lot better for this work that we say that we're trying to do for the world. Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing kind of what stands out for you, Courtney, as I battle my first cold here in two years post-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> the germs are circulating now. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. You take your mask off and then you're just like, uh-huh. The Turns like, out they I'm... did something. <laughs> I'm surprised how often I'm like, maybe I'll put my mask back on. Like after two years ago, I couldn't fathom ever wearing a mask, you know? Like I was the first people I saw walking down the road with a mask, like when this was all starting, I was like, I was mad. I was like, you're going to scare my kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time ago, long time ago thought. <laughs> so Emily, let me ask you, um, I want to start, start you off. You know, like you always start me off with great questions. I'm going to try to match that energy. What is one of the things, if you could pick one of the things that you uh, was a learning point for you with this season, what would it be if you just remember it off the top of your head? I, you know, I think the the learning point is a little bit more like higher level than any particular moment in an episode. I'm sure there's tons in different episodes that I I could pick out as well, but I'm just noticing how like forever living in Boulder, you know, predominantly white, certainly not all white community, but predominantly white community. For a long time, I was like, you know, I like Boulder because I leave a lot because I used to go and travel a lot and I don't anymore. And then, you know, I had kids, stopped traveling and I was like, oh, like it's just such a, a white community. And since having the podcast and this weekly focus and this enthusiasm about bringing in great guests. I'm just noticing with that intentionality, like how diverse my community feels now, because I am, I'm intentionally not just going with like the default of what's around me, but intentionally seeking people out. We have this platform that we've created where we can invite people in to have these awesome conversations on intimate topics. And I am just so grateful to have that diversity in my life and all these different viewpoints and ways of thinking and richness really in my life. And I'm just really struck with just a little bit of intention, <laughs> you know, and not much discomfort. Like I assume if comfort is what le led me to have predominantly white circles for a long time, 
it was just a little risk taking of like, will you come and talk to us? <laughs> like that was the risk taking. But yeah, I am just so deeply grateful for that. Wow. If I was to ask myself the same question, a learning point for me would definitely be continuing to learn how to talk about race and culture in a way that's inviting. You know, a lot of times we we want equality, equity, liberation, but because, and I'm just one person of color, but I felt as though I felt angry. Like, why do I have to work as something that I feel like should just be a human right? It should just be something that's just, you know, you're a human being, treat me with respect. It's over, you know? And as being unhumanized, what's common to me may not be common, just like what's common to someone else is not common to me. And I think humanized has taught me, has extended and gave me a greater appreciation for all mankind, even white supremacists, you know? If everything was perfect, we wouldn't have nothing to do. If every patient was healthy, doctors wouldn't have a job. If every car was 100% and they need no maintenance, mechanics would be out of work, you know? And so like, I feel like this is a great opportunity to do something that's so impactful to make our world a better place for generations to come. And I feel like, as with every other thing that I do, this is a culture setting moment. And I'm, I feel really blessed that, again, I always say, you took a risk. You know, I feel blessed that you took a risk to to do this with me, you know, because like it was a wild card. You know, you didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know who you were. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So like, it could have been, we could have blew up in flames, <laughs> you know. And so I, every season is just teaching me how to love more audaciously, if that's making sense. You know what I mean? Like pushing the envelope, saying certain things, meeting great people, you know, like having these conversations it's not anything to be taken for uh, for granted. I know the people that we've been able to talk to, talking to Bobby and Patricia and Kyle and Dr. Rebecca and Nadia, like just uh, the list goes on and on. It's been an incredible, incredible season. And I'm amazed that you have that, that perspective. So I was talking to Courtney about this before we started to record, but working my way through Hannah Nicole Jones project, the 1619 project, which is a masterpiece of research um, and really centers the Black experience of history, the Black contributions in history, and does not shy away from the horrific details of our past and the laws that were passed to hold things in place and the way that white women were, you know, put into the social positions. And uh, I mean, it's a lot. And I... I honestly like can't imagine. Um, I what I can imagine is the anger that you you mentioned of and the the frustration of just. I mean, what I would imagine of like, Jesus, just like treat people well. Like, what the hell? Like, why is this so hard? Why is this country so stuck on this? So many hundreds of years, and I don't know if I could like stay calm in the face of that you know like i i mean we've been we've been angry for years civil rights movement there were a lot of angry people aside from um just everyday life we grow up angry people of color 
just always angry. The definition of insanity is keep on doing the same thing, accepting and expecting different results. You know, like being angry and being upset is a good starting point. It shows you that you're you're human. It shows you that like you can see that a wrong has been done. But what are you gonna do with that anger? What are you gonna do with that um, that pain? I mean, in grandma's hands, we talked about good pain, good try, uh, working through and making it clean pain. Dirty pain and clean pain. Yeah, Resma McKenna talks about that. Yeah. And so, like, I, I need I need to use the pain as a catalyst instead of as a deterrent or being contradictory to my cause. Pain has to be a fertilizer. It can't be like gasoline. It has to allow things to grow. You know, like if it, if it's just going if my pain is just gonna burn through communities and and hurt white people and just say, you know, if like every white person I see, I'm killing them on sight. That is really antithetical to we we were never gonna go anywhere. You know, so like I, I really that's what I'm saying. Like everything I do in my life is pulling on the same thread. It looks like a lot, but it's all the same. It's like it's just different ways to do the same thing. And my ADD is loving that because now it's just like, Field you day. know, it's like for real. <laughs> yeah, every day. Oh, oh I, podcast, cool. Let's go. Over here. Okay, let's see over here. Oh, let's do this. Oh, for, photography. Oh, but it's all like trying to, to, to humanize a struggle. And I feel so blessed like to have this opportunity. You know, not take it lightly. And so, I mean, I'm obviously I, I'm not on a lot of podcasts. It's the only one I'm on right now. So, but I feel as some podcasts just want to go out there and talk about things, have a fun podcast. But I feel like when you have something that's going to that is remembered as affecting change in society, that is yo. I, I it's a different type of feeling for me. You know, and so like. I mean, the the guest, like you said, their willingness to to bear their souls. Like our roster of guests is heavy. Like I was, I was thinking about, I look about, like, yo, we have some great people. Season three was phenomenal, you know, and it built perfectly from season two, which built perfectly from season one. I, I go back. You know, I'm having just back to this anger thing. I'm thinking. Like anger, anger is a thing that I am trying to get more in touch with in general in my life. And there's this, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but I'll just speak from my understanding. You know, there's a pretty big narrative that women, women should be kind. Not all emotions are welcome. You know, when when leaders are, women, female leaders are emotional, it's like, oh, she's irrational. She's emotional and, you know, written off. And so there's a way in which women in particular are having to suppress their emotions to be like a good woman. Like if I was a, you know, a feminist scholar, I'd have much more elegant ways of putting it. But I'm just tuning into this piece about like, let's say, you know, hundreds of years ago where Black enslaved women had no right to their children, whether that was from a rape from the master trying to produce more slaves or another slave or whatever, whoever, whoever, it doesn't matter. They had no, first of all, no repercussions for, you know, if they were raped and no rights to their children. How could the white women have stood by you know, and 
I mean, I guess there's a few things. Like, how dehumanized were the Black women in their eyes? And this is the question of, like, how intensely were they taught to suppress their anger and to separate from the part of themselves that were, like, a child? Like, I'm a mother, so, like, this is, like, just a a core-shaking, I to imagine a child being taken from a woman and sold off to another part of the country. Like, it is just how insanely disconnected would those white people have to have been to be okay with that? Like, yeah, you can think of the bigger picture economy, and I'm assuming that the women at that time were not actually that closely connected to the economy. Like, they, how did, how messed up were they to turn away from that? You know, like I don't you see, I don't think they were messed up. I think they were they had dehumanized and they were dehumanized simultaneously. You know, like white women were also violated. White women were also taken advantage of, exploited. White women were also abused. This country is not built for women, period. But the only advantage they had they weren't black women. Right. That was the one thing. See, so it's like, you're bad, but you ain't that bad. And so when they saw themselves, it was almost in my mind, because I'm not a woman or a white woman, so I'm just speaking from what I've seen and read and watched and things of that nature. But it feels like you um, almost have to use that as a form of protection for your family. You know what I mean? Like, if you have kids as a white woman and a black woman has kids and her kids are being abused sexually or her kids are being taken away, you don't want that to happen to you. So it's like, in order to protect my family, I almost have to co-sign on this ignorant shit for survival's sake. As a mother, you gotta know that's wrong. Whether you're black or white, if you walk outside right now, you see a black mother getting abused in your cul-de-sac, you run up like, yo, you call the police, doing something like, yo, what is going on out there? But imagine back in the day when, where lynching was a thing. You know your husband is also having sex with black women. And like, that was a normal thing. Like people went to church and they said, thank God for slavery. That's the brilliance of white supremacy. It used every avenue to make sure that you felt very comfortable in the most insane thing. Like, it's brilliant. What, like, we always say that. It is brilliant. And I, and I think what I'm th- way back to, like, the, the question of, like, what are, you, what are you learning from season three? And what I'm feeling at this moment is, like, and my my advice to white listeners who might be at different points in their journey is like, fuck feeling shameful or guilty, get angry. This feels like a much, I don't know where it's going. It feels like a much more productive, energizing experience than the shame and guilt, because shame and guilt is this internally cycling thing that's actually like if you follow the somatics like it's pushing down right it's it's looping back into your body and pushing down anger is one of the few emotions that you actually feel in your arms like you want to move like and you feel better once you start moving so that i i feel like is a anger is the achievement of this season (laughs) 
if your anger is clean anger, 100% use it. But if your anger is one where you start to hate and be upset and hate yourself, then it's useless for, it's useless for a culture. Like your, your hate, hatred of yourself will not get us anywhere where we're trying to go. Yeah, I appreciate you for noticing that slavery was, was fucked up. <laughs> Thanks for noticing that. <laughs> but now, now what? What are we going to do? We're going to sit at home. We're going to sit at home safely, slamming pots. Slamming pots and pans and sl- slamming doors and, and, and screaming at the top. No, I don't. None of that works for people of color. Your anger should should race you to legislation change and policy um, change and, and reform and ab- abolishment of, of certain things. Oh, just having different conversations and, and, and checking you and doing the work of mentally dismantling a system of whiteness. It starts with yourself. Like. You can't go from, I, I've never seen a, white, a black person in my life, or I've never seen a Native American person in my life, or I'm a misogynist, get angry about how fucked up it is, and go straight like, to, to legislation. You know, like, there are steps in there. Like, humanized to me is a step for me to learn what's next in dismantling the system. Because I have to read a lot all the time, because I don't know where we're going with our episode. Is a great stressor for me, but it was also forcing me, like medical school did, to learn what the fuck I got to know. Because when it's game time, I don't have. To, if we in the interview, you can't go back and research. <laughs> hold, hold on, hold on, guest. Let me Google what you meant by sixteen nineteen. Right. Like, <laughs> oh, now we look weak as a as a the unit. Well, humanized. Like, well, what kind of fucking fight? right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess I would put like, I guess I. I'm realizing I feel grateful for this and for Humanize and for the networks that we're creating in Boulder and Denver specifically, because I do feel like I have an outlet for where that energy can move. And I think, um, you know, that's one of our hopes moving ahead for our listeners is to continue to connect you with ways that you can keep moving your energy forward. And we're going to be in the next couple of months doing a lot with our Patreon community, just helping to organize them and connect them with, you know, a lot of people are like, what can I do? What can I do? Right. And so we are connected with those people who are doing amazing things. So if you want to throw hours, money, networks behind these things, um, one, that would be a great place to find is come join us on um, Patreon, the Humanized Podcast. And one thing I would put out there as an opportunity coming up is um, these, there is a, I put it on our social media, Unify Colorado conversations that are coming up. So this is a production basically that is being sponsored by I think the DA office in Colorado and some other folks where they're linking up individuals from different backgrounds and different geographic areas in Colorado to have a one-hour conversation about the, the tough topics that Colorado is facing right now. And so this is a politically, you know, this is bringing people from different political backgrounds and geographical backgrounds and different views on, you know, how conservative or liberal, and then encouraging them through a series of prompts. And I'm definitely going to be a part of this to just sit down and and connect because we know that when we connect with people, we get a chance to humanize them. And that's more of what we need. So that is our current call to action. And I'll, I'll, put something else in our our Instagram feed about that. 
as well. Um, but we hope that everyone can get involved in that. And please, please, and support doesn't to me always look like what people just any type of interactions that we have to me is support. You know, like any way that hey, without trolling, you can get better at this, or you can't get you, you should do this, or can we do this? Like any of those suggestions, I love because I only want to get better. Yeah. And speaking of getting better, for the next couple minutes, Courtney and I were thinking about just having a conversation about the work that we're doing using some prompts. So I have these cards that are adapted from Tema Kuhn's Dismantling Racism Workbook. I've talked about Tema a lot because she produced this document, I guess, in 99 that was dismantling white supremacy culture. And it's the characteristics of white supremacy culture that are really helpful to tune into how they show up, especially in our businesses. So each of these cards outlines an antidote or agreement um, that the your workplace, so our workplace, can hold to combat the characteristics of white supremacy culture that shows up in an organization. So I'm just going to choose some at random. And Courtney and I are just going to discuss how, you know, how we're doing. Okay, so this is on dismantling a sense of urgency. So we know urgency is a characteristic of white supremacy culture. We are mindful of our time and create realistic expectations of what we can get done with available time. So how do you feel like we do we do on this? I mean, before we start filming, we always say, hey, we got a hard stop here. We have to do this. I think we're very respectful, accommodating between ourselves of knowing our schedules are busy. Um, I'm doing what I'm doing. You're a mom. That just, and so like when something comes up, it's never, the work has to be done true, but we are the work. And if we, and what I've learned through this entrepreneurial like lifestyle that I have, that if you don't pour into yourself, I can't pour into anyone else. I can't take care of my community if I'm run down. I want to live long enough to see what I worked hard for come true you know and so like i think we value time in such a way and it's evident how we show up when we do have to get a get to work when we do have to create an episode when we do have to show up and speak on behalf of us with regards to um humanize and so it always shows up in the work that we are taking care of ourselves yeah i think so i think i mean there have been countless episodes that Courtney and I have planned on recording just the two of us that like, you know, one of us shows up and it's just like, no, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. And I, I, I appreciate that since we're both doing it, it's like, okay, we can be honest with that. We can't fully go there. Like we can't rise to this, this occasion right now. The work so, is too important. Yeah. And we want to be able to do it well. And it's a, both and situation, I do feel like there's room for us to be more mindful and realistic of what we can get done with our available time. Like we were just talking about, you know, batch recording some episodes so that we're not kind of scrambling last minute to make sure we can meet our editor's deadlines and things. Like I do feel often like, oh, like we have to, we have to do this. Like, and like, it's like, no one is, no one is paying us <laughs> to do this. And, and yet we still get caught up in it, like a sense of urgency at times. So 
I do think that there's maybe a structure that we can put in place going ahead that could help us feel more relaxed and spacious. I don't know what that exactly will look like, but I do feel that sense of urgency because our plates are full, you know, like work and mothering. And now we have sickness again because masks are off. Um, Yeah. So it's hard to to get that rest, you know, like Nadia was talking in the last episode, the importance of just like rest and rejuvenation to make this sustainable long-term. Sustainability, and Nadia spoke of rest as a form of resistance. When you have overdone something, like the the, the product is not as good as if you, you took your time and were very intentional with the work. And so like with the work being so important that there is a sense of urgency for me. However, it's so important that I don't want to rush it either. If every time we come on air, every time we create an episode, we're freestyling, we're talking our truth, you know? And so if I'm not in the mood to, to talk because I'm distracted by something else, like I feel as though I'm doing our community a disservice, you know, just to put something out there. Just get it out, just get it out. Nah, we're not fixing cars, you know, we haven't, conversations about, in my mind, I view it almost as seeing a patient, you know, and taking history, taking the time to get to know the person in order to get the right diagnosis, in order to treat them to treat them the right way. And so if I go in there and rush in, I miss something. So I, I really feel as though it's the same with human eyes. If we don't allow ourselves to take time to take care of ourselves, and we just come here spewing bullshit like we're no different than other individuals that yeah just try to do things feeding the machine for money. yeah so. <laughs> feeding the white supremacy machine yeah so maybe when we sit down and plan the next season both putting in some like batching and then also rest like intentional intentional rest i don't know how that's gonna work for me but yeah we'll try uh yeah you have to try to sleep more than two hours a night um <laughs> Okay, next one. Dismantling the right to comfort. We recognize that unconscious adherence to dominant norms creates unsafe spaces for those who do not adhere to those norms. We recognize that power is a privilege and does not grant us a right to comfort. So this, I mean, this is a hard one. The way in which unconsciousness can create unsafe spaces is very challenging. I think that something that you and I do pretty well is flex with our guests to create a space that feels comfortable. And we we kind of hammer it with different techniques, right? Like sometimes we're trying to joke around. Sometimes we're trying to like allow for silence. Sometimes we're doing different things. But still, ultimately, I think as a white person, I do not know how to create a safe space for a person of color. And I don't know if I really can without a lot of deep relationship building. Because I I mean, I have heard that like repeatedly recently from very close friends of color. Like ultimately, yeah, I don't trust white people. Yeah, I could see how it could be hard to create a safe space when you've always been in one. Like, right. Like, how do you... How can I attune to microaggressions when I may be perpetuating them? Exactly. It's like, if I've always been healthy 
I don't know what it feels like to have a cold. And in medicine, they always say, make sure you know normal so that when abnormal presents itself, you know how to recognize it. But in this situation, it's hard for you to create something because what does it look like to create a safe space when you've always lived in a safe space? So you just assume everyone's in a safe space because you're in one. If you're not attuned to the dynamics of race in this country. Right. And I mean, I I also like part of my background is, you know, working with youth with this study abroad program where there be dragons. And a lot of my role in those groups would be like 10 or 12 kids was to create a safe space for them. And, you know, as they're like processing, oh my gosh, I'm in homestay in Nepal and I'm way out of my comfort zone. So I'm like, okay, how do we bring them back in so that they can talk about their experience and process process what's going on? But that tool set is not necessarily going to work for people of color in a business setting. It's a different safe space. Like you're allowed to fuck up in that kind of safe space because it's expected for kids in a new country that's messed up. In a job, this is a life and death situation. That's not a safe space. Like, my, my kids can't eat as a black man if I am not adhering to white supremacy. Like, I don't have the luxury to fail. I don't have the luxury. Poverty has not created the environment where I can see someone as anything other than an obstacle that has to be conquered. Because... At the end of the day, I'm powerless, but if I have a sliver of more power than you, guess what? I got to eat you alive because only the strongest survive. However, if you are a white appearing person in the U.S., like not the strongest doesn't necessarily have to survive. It's just the person that looks a certain way, has a certain network, has a certain money in a certain class. And so, like, yeah, you could be a poor, uneducated, handicapped white person, 100%. You have a leg up on an educated, taller black man. When you say it's, it's difficult, I can see how it could be difficult for you to create a space. But see, that's why as we work together, you see, like, the perspective. I'm seeing your perspective as a white woman. And you're seeing mine as a black man. That's that's a hell of some perspectives right there. That, that brings a lot to the table. So now I see like, okay, cool. Calm down. Analyze more. You know, think about certain um, consequences that could happen. And I hope that you see like, we can do this. It's hopeful. It's a great play on each other's strengths and weaknesses that I think we bring to, to we would bring to any group that we were trying to create space for. You would be like, okay, we have this time. We're going to talk about this. I appreciate your time. And I come with, I am cool. We have that structure, but let's get messy. Let's get unstructured. You know, let's get dirty. And because you trust me, you're like, oh, fuck it. Let's get dirty. Then. <laughs> okay. He said, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, yeah, why we... We've had this discussion before, but like we need each other to fill in for each other's blind spots. And that's why the trust that we've developed is so important. And like if i if I'm going off off rails and saying so, you know, like I then defer to you. and I, like I just don't think it's um, I don't think we can mine for all of our unconscious 
influences, but we need teams, diverse teams, in order to like to flex and adapt with what is actually happening. That's why it's so hard and people are like, what can I do? I'm like, oh, it takes a lot of flexibility, a lot of like moving with different people and understanding and stepping back and stepping forward. And it's not perfect. Imperfection is the ground of our work, which is uh, humbling. When people ask, what can I do to me? I, the first thing I say is, how willing are you to fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Totally. Like that's totally. what, that's the first people I go, bro. Hey, what? How can as a white person, what do I do? Well, white man, um, how willing are you to to know that you will say some crazy shit, do some crazy shit, ask a crazy question, especially to a person of color, and you're not so fragile that you're not willing to take that heat. Let's start from there. If you're not, like it's cool, but you're also not ready to do the work. You know, and so that's how I feel about like DEI work. It's not, it's not comfortable. It's safe, but it's not comfortable. It shouldn't be comfortable. Talk about how can talk about white supremacy be co- like comfortable? People were lynched. I guess imagine the middle of Boulder, see a man hanging from the from the, the street sign, or a woman or a child. Is that comfortable? People just driving by, taking pictures of it, holding like it was. It's uncomfortable. So if we're gonna talk about it, let's talk about it. It can't be like, oh, hold on, hold on. We need a, a safe, comfortable space where well, you really don't want to do the work then. Right. Right. Um, okay, let's do one more and wrap up season three. Okay. Um, dismantling quantity over quality. We have a system in place to deeply address people's concerns, even if it takes time and energy away from other to-dos? I think we we definitely take the time and be and are very intentional with the quality of work instead of how many guests we have, how much time is spent. Like we just let the conversation go where it's going to go. And obviously we have to wrap it up, but it's never, it doesn't feel like to me, we're just trying to check a box. I mean, I, I, I know countless guests that it was like, oh, man, like, we can continue to talk. This is a three-hour conversation. This is a four-hour, like, easy, you know? And so I think we do really well at at guiding a conversation, but also allowing the guests to feel comfortable enough to do their thing without being rushed. And that is a, that's definitely an art. <laughs> I feel like you're, like, the happy, the, like, okay, we're doing pretty good at this. And I'm the, like, okay, we have... <laughs> place to grow. That's Here's, your role. That's your role. That's my role. That's my role. I'm not the uh, neighborhood hope dealer like uh, <laughs> you are. Uh, I am the neighborhood like pessimist. We're not. We're not the neighborhood pessimist. <laughs> I'm gonna get you a t-shirt. The neighborhood pessimist. <laughs> neighborhood oh my pessimist. god. <laughs> so, okay. So we're in the process of figuring out. You know, are we gonna have to move? our editor teams just because of a few different things. And this is a place where I feel like we could do a better job of deeply addressing their concerns, you know, our our current team's concerns about organizing their time. And because we tend to like, okay, let's postpone recording that episode because like I have a sick kid or 
Courtney's re- feeling distracted or whatever is happening, then we end up having like a last minute episode that we have to produce, which is then more work for them. And so we kind of pass it on. And so even if it takes, I guess I'm seeing a call to do a little bit like more upfront work and planning. And although being flexible and adapting is like our strength, we don't need to pass that on to like other people that are supporting our work. So this is, I think, a place that we could grow going into next season and respect their concerns a little bit better. Yeah, their time. Yeah, you're 100% right. As we grow, I feel like we'll get more um, in tune on the the flow of the episodes and and, and what we have to do. I mean, this summer is going to be great for us as far as batching and thinking about in-person um, in studio, guests and things of that nature. So I think we're just getting better and stronger with every season. So, oh, uh, yep. It's good to celebrate what we're doing well, try to do more of that, and also, you know, recognize that even in the way that we are working, there's plenty of room for growth to dismantle systems of oppression that we've unconsciously bought into and can be reproduced in our work. So, thank you everyone for joining us for this thought exercise. These are cool cards that you can get. They're called Spark Decks. We can spark-decks.com is where you can get them. I love having decks of cards. It's a great way to like, you know, make conversations easier because you don't have to be the one prodding questions and stuff like that. So big fan, big fan of cards. I have so many cards right in front of me on my desk. (laughs) Um, Courtney, thank you for another great season. Looking forward to what's going to come next. Um, watch out on our our social and in the Patreon for some merchandise that we're going to be selling yeah, soon. Yeah, I'm all about <laughs> I'm all about the teas. You know that the merch, the merch. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, have a wonderful day. Much love, family. Season three is out. Peace. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love. Damn, three seasons in the bag.